Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Right. Good morning. How's everyone? It's a pretty jovial bunch this morning. There's been a noise. I like that from the front at least. There's a little bit of activity. I know some are alive. It's good to know. And today we are doing part two of this series on David. Who enjoyed the message last week? Really good word from Pete. He did a really good take on the story of David and Goliath. Um, He really talked about the fact that it really is a shadow of Christ in that story. And so if you haven't seen that, which of course a shadow of Christ is a picture of what Christ has done for us through that story of David and Goliath. So if you haven't seen it, good news is, unlike the past, where you go, oh, well, missed it. No, it's online. And there's some people watching online this morning and welcome to them as well. But I would encourage you, if you haven't seen it, go back, have a look, really good message. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever been in a situation where you need someone to just wait? You need someone to wait. Now, I'll give you one example that I have. Um, At home, my kids take food into the lounge room and they'll they'll just, you know, they're there. I want you to imagine they're on the lounge and this is what they're eating. Um, I'm going to have to get rid of the microphone for a minute so you'll get the picture of what's going to happen. But this is basically how I observe it goes. Right, got that? I walk in and this is what I see. And I'm like, just wait. Do not stand up. Just wait. I rush off, right? I get to the kitchen. Now, this has probably been all of 15 seconds. And in the meantime, what? What, Dad? Anyone relate? Yeah, it's the same with sand from the beach. That really bugs me as well when they come and there's sand up to here and they just can't wait. They just have to go through the house. That gets to me as well. I've got a picture on the screen. I saw you had it before. The car's broken down. You come across someone, they're in the middle of nowhere. And this happens a lot. And someone will say, just wait here, I'll get help. Someone will be back, we will organise help, just wait here. It's amazing how many people in these situations, when help doesn't arrive within what they consider to be a reasonable time, leave the car and tragedy ends up happening. Because they say the best thing you can do, just stay with the car. But people wander off. People cannot wait. And it's like King Saul. I'm really covered in popcorn at the moment. And I'm assuming that no one in the front row is allergic to, you know, in 2022, I probably should have considered that. I probably should have used some sort of gluten-free wafer. But there you go. I can't help it. Sorry. Don't come on the stage if you have some sort of an allergy sort of thing. There you are. There's my disclaimer. It's like King Saul when David was a boy, when the prophet Samuel anointed King Saul, he gave Saul clear instructions what he needed to do. And I mean really clear instructions. He says, go here, you'll meet these people, they're going to be carrying this, Um, they're going to say this to you, they're going to offer this thing to you, Um, you're going to accept it. 
Then you'll go here, then this thing will happen, and then you'll see this sign, you'll see that sign, and the Spirit of the Lord is then going to come upon you. You're going to be prophesying, they're going to be prophesying, and you will become a completely different person. And after all this takes place, it says in 1 Samuel 10, 8, then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I'll join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instruction. And it says in verse 9, and all these signs were fulfilled that very day. All the things that Samuel said would come to pass came to pass. I don't know about you, but that was, it was, if you read that passage, it is a very descriptive account of what's going to happen. It's very unlike a tarot reader. And I hope no one here goes and sees tarot readers, but I can tell you the last thing they are is precise. You know, today you're going to meet someone. Who? Someone. Someone special. Did that just, was that a tarot effect or? <laughs> you're going to experience something new today. Really, we experience something new every day, don't we? You know, some, someone will do something wrong. Someone will do something wrong by you today. Someone does something wrong by me every day. I do things wrong by people every day. Of course that's going to happen. That is not what's going on here. This, that, that rubbish is vague. This was accurate. It was precise. He was a true prophet. I want you to fast forward a, a while. Saul is now where he was told to go by Samuel. He's gone down to Gilgal. And whilst he's there, he's waiting for Samuel to arrive. Remember he said, just wait there seven days. Wait for me. Don't do anything. Just wait. They're surrounded by their enemy, the Philistines. The Philistines have basically snuck up on them and have got them sort of cornered. And Saul's troops are freaking out because they know what these people are like. They're freaking out. And so what's happening is one by one, they're starting to run. They're going and hiding in the caves or they're just disappearing. It says in Samuel 1.13, Saul waited there seven days to Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realised that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you've done? What the heck are you doing? Saul didn't keep the command that God had given him to wait until Samuel arrived. In verse 13, it says, How foolish, Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command your, your Lord, the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established his kingdom over Israel forever. But now... Your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And Samuel was right. This was the beginning of the end for Saul. In Samuel 15, God tells King Saul, you need to destroy the Amalekites and everything they have. You need to wipe this group clean from the planet. They are they are a horrid group of people, and they were. They were attacking the Israelites. They were attacking the vulnerable that had left Egypt, especially the women and children, and doing horrendous things. And King Saul, as you read in there, he kills them all. 
but he lets the king live. He doesn't kill one. And then he sees that the Amalekites have got some really good stuff that they've taken from others over the years. And the Bible says that they kept everything that appealed to them and just chucked out all the rubbish. Again, Saul fails to do what God had asked of him. And in response, God rejects Saul, says, I can't keep him as king. He's not right. And God tells the prophet Samuel to anoint a new king. And Samuel's obviously a bit scared of what Saul might do, the king in response to this, because it can look a bit like treason, but he stepped out and he obeyed God. And God led him to Bethlehem, to a man called Jesse. And God told him it's going to be one of his sons. He's going to be the next king. And when and looked at Jesse's sons, he obviously assumed that God was going to lead him to the oldest. And it says in Samuel 16.6, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here we are again, the Lord focusing on the heart. A thousand years later, or a little bit more than a thousand years later, I think about a thousand and thirty years later-ish, when the Apostle Paul is preaching in Antioch, he speaks of David and he says in Acts 13.22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. You know, a man or a woman after God's heart, clearly, as you read these passages, this is what pleases God. And you've probably heard people talk about this a lot. You know, David, he was a man after God's own heart. But the thing I want to look at this morning is what does that actually mean? Now, it's one thing to say he was a man after God's own heart. But what does it actually mean? David was a shepherd. We know that. He was a poet, a general and a king. He was a great worshipper great musician, composer of music. He wrote many of the Psalms, as many of you would know. He united kingdoms. He killed animals, giants. He had a list of achievements like just too long to mention. And yet in looking for a new king, David, sorry, God wasn't interested in David's resume. Now, he knew what David would do in the future, but then he's not like, I've picked this person because this person will achieve this and achieve this. This person will be so good. No. He said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Not interested in the achievements, interested in the heart. Do we truly have a heart for God? I've thought about this question myself this week and I thought it's hard to know I think only God really knows a person's heart we can't know but I do have some questions that I think we can ask ourselves that will give us an indication of where our hearts are at and so we're going to look at four questions this morning just briefly and I want you it's pointless us trying to look at those questions in relation to other people I think we can only examine ourselves 
And I warn you that these questions that I'm posing are, they're pretty tough. They require brutal honesty. But if you want an indication of what's going on in there spiritually, then you've got to, You've got to look at these honestly. Are you ready? Question one. And they're all worded to me, and you just word them to yourself. But question one is, what do I do after I sin? David sinned. We know that. In fact, David sinned a lot. But what happened after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin? Did he become defensive Did he look to blame others? Did he try to justify his actions? In 2 Samuel 2, 12, 13, it says, And David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Just how repentant is the heart of David? And I think we can see it best in Psalm 51. If you want to see how sort of repentant David was after he would sin, this is what he says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me. O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognise my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. I'll give me back back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep me looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. It's pretty repentant. He's obviously gone and and wrote this psalm um, after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. And you can see from just, he keeps pouring out his genuine sorrow at what he's done and looking for God to restore him. What does David do after he sins? He repents. I'm genuinely sorry, Lord. What I did was wrong and I'm guilty. Please forgive me. It says in the Bible, we know he was a king, he was a poet, he was a great leader. But when we read through the story of David, you see he's also a liar. He's a betrayer, he's an adulterer and he's a murderer. So he's both successful and at the same time he's equally a failure. And I think this is good news for you and me. It's very good news. It means you and I don't have to be perfect to have a heart after God. Hallelujah. Because that would rule some of us out, right? But we do have to have a repentant heart. Psalm 51.17 says, You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. We do need a repentant heart. We don't need to be perfect, but we need to be repentant. And David knew that God is a forgiving God. He focused more on God's forgiveness than his own failure. And I wish 
that sometimes we would do the same. The problem is, is that you and I can often be tricked into doing the opposite. We focus so much on our failures that we end up thinking along the lines of, because of my past, God can't forgive me. Or because of the things that I've done wrong, God won't accept me. But I want to tell you this morning, that is not true. David did a lot wrong and God was very pleased with him. And he can be, if he can be pleased with David, and you know what he did, what David did. If he can be pleased with David, he can be pleased with anybody. You do not have to be perfect. You just have to be repentant. So when it comes to sin, a person after God's heart has a repentant heart. Question two, what do I do when life sucks? And I think David's life was filled with when life sucks. He was constantly at war with other nations. He had his own king, Saul, trying to kill him. He had major family problems. His son, Amnon, had abused his daughter, Tamar. Amnon was then killed by the other brother, Absalom. Absalom later decides he's going to rebel against his dad and try to um, usurp him from the throne. So David's forced into exile, but then Absalom, his son, is killed in battle. You know, this is a family with lots of tragedy, lots of problems, lots of stress, and I would say for a lot of his life, David's life actually sucked, if we're being completely honest. You imagine all that happening in your family household and try to put on a brave front saying life is good. But what did he do? In Psalm 118, he writes, In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. David said, when life sucks, I pray. When I'm stressed, I pray. When I'm stressed, I trust God. There's nothing more I can do. I just have to give it over to him. What other choice do I have? And the interesting thing is that if you genuinely do that, it's very freeing. That's what he found. He found freedom in that. Even as a boy, David puts all his trust in God. He says in 1 Samuel 17, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He knew who's going to rescue him. When life sucks, we can go through some really dark times. And I know there's many people here, and especially in the last couple of years, that have had some pretty tough times in your life. We've had lots of... People pass away in church here in the last couple of years. We've had people go through some pretty tough things with their businesses due to COVID, lockdowns, isolation because people are sick and the doctor said you had to stay away. So many things have gone on. Dark times, they can lead people down a path of depression. And for mentally, for David, he was in that place. You know, in Psalm 116, he says, death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. And I'm sure some people here can relate to that. And if you're going through dark times, even now, if the circumstances in your life are becoming what you would feel too much, I want to encourage you to do what David did. In the next verse he says, Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. 
when life sucks, I think God's actually just looking for us to have a heart that's still willing to trust him. No matter what we're going through, are we prepared to trust him anyway? So when it comes to our troubles, a person after God's heart is a person with a trusting heart. The third question, what do I do when God asks me? Who's ever had that worrying thing, I hope God doesn't ask me to do this because I don't want to have to say no to him? <sighs> Acts 13.22, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David did whatever God asked him to do. Psalm 119.10 says, With all my heart, Lord, I try to serve you. David didn't have to be encouraged or pressured to serve God. David wanted to serve God. It was a joy for him because it's something that was going on in his heart. He had a servant heart. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, you must be the servant of all. Greatness comes through selfless service. You know, my daughter demands... I mean, asks sometimes. She sometimes asks me to do things for her. Sometimes I say, yeah, sure. And sometimes I say, no, I'm not your servant. Any parents ever said that one? But there's a danger of us having that sort of I'm not your servant attitude with God. Even if we don't say it like that. There's times where you and I know that God's actually trying to talk to us and tell us to do something. He's prompting us through signs or through other people telling you things and you're like, oh, it's probably a sign from God. Not. But even if we know that it is God prompting us to do something in particular, we might not do it, especially if it doesn't suit us or if there's something else is happening or... Well, it depends what it's going to cost. I'll tell you what, David didn't care about the cost. He was going to build an altar for God one day. And a man told him, I'll tell you what, you can have my land, you can have my cattle, you can have my rocks. The man said to David, I will pay for the whole altar. Now, if this was us, we might think, well, this must be a God thing, right? Because I've got a, I had nothing, I want to do an altar for God, and here it is. This person's come up to me and said, here's the cattle you need, here's the rocks, here's the land. This has got to be a God moment. Everyone's just giving me everything I need to make this thing happen for God. Not David. He says in 2 Samuel 24, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. You know, when I read that, I go... Wow. That cuts deep. It should cut deep for us, I think. Sometimes I think we want to present things to God only if they've been put in our lap. And sometimes, God, we actually need to go, this has got to hurt me as well. This has got to cost me. Where am I sacrificing in what I'm doing? You know, David's saying to God, I don't do freebies. 
I don't serve him stuff that's not mine. If I didn't make a sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice. If I'm not giving to God when it hasn't cost me anything, I'm not really giving him anything. I owe everything to my creator, to my saviour. And David was like, I will never offer God something that has cost me nothing. It can be very convicting. What do you do when God asks you? And you know when God's asking you to do something. I think you do. I mean, his spirit's in here for a reason. His Holy Spirit's talking to us, right? Empowers us, but also likes to do that little gentle whisper in the ear, Josh, I need you to be doing this. I don't want you to be doing this. And what do we do when God asks us and it's going to cost us? Do we proceed or do we look for a way out? Well, if we want to be people when it comes to doing things for God, if we want to have a, a heart where we are a person after God's heart, we have to have a servant heart. There's no way around that. And my last question this morning, what do I do when everything is awesome? Everything is awesome. Who was singing that in their head? Yeah, good. Right. David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. He succeeded in everything he did. He was one of the most successful people that had ever lived. After he knocked off Goliath, he became a legend in the eyes of the people. He was a hero. They didn't realise it's really God. They're thinking this is David that's done this thing. You know, his name was known everywhere and people were singing and writing songs about this guy, David. You know, there are songs like, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David's slain his ten thousands, but they would sing it. I just said it. And that's because I'm not a good singer, so I'm not going to sing it. And they praised and adored him. And the Bible says that all Judah and Israel loved David. Obviously not everybody, but in general. He was a very loved person. He's famous. He's at the top. He's extremely successful because everything's going his way. And so at, at one point, everything is awesome. I think this is the ultimate test of the heart. Because every now and then in our lives, unless you've had a really bad life, even if it's just for an hour, everything will be awesome in your life. Has everyone ever had a time where everything was awesome? Where it just, it was all coming up, Josh, for the day. I'm, you, you add your name, right? Not coming up good for me. But everything for your name, it was coming up you for an hour or a day or a week or a month and you're like, life is so good, everything's, everything's going so well. That's normally when people say, you should go and get a lottery ticket. Now, you shouldn't get a lottery ticket. But do you know in those times, that's when people start going, it's like this person. Like for me, it's when I get like four green lights in a row at the traffic. It's like everything is awesome. This is amazing. But I think this is the ultimate test. How do you handle praise? How do we handle success? How do we handle awesomeness? Here's how David handled it. In Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory. Should be, they should write a song about that. For your unfailing love and faithfulness. David refused 
to take credit for himself. He didn't let it go to his head. You know, you've probably heard this before, but you know humans and pufferfish, they've got the same one thing in common. You pat them on the back and their head puffs up. It's true, isn't it? There are a few people who can handle praise very well. I don't handle it well. And so I hate it when people do that, which is why I, I don't like it. I, because it'll go to my head. It's not good. It's terrible. Don't ever praise me. Don't do it. Oh, pastor, pastor, don't do that. <laughs> now, I know you guys don't do that. You're more likely to have a go at me, which I'm fine with. Because <laughs> I know what happens if you... You puff up the pastor, his head puffs up. It's not good, right? It's not good. It's not healthy. I am no better or different to anybody else in this room. We just have different roles. That's all it is. So don't, anything that's successful that happens in this church, it's not because of me. It's not because of the staff. It's because of God, right? And we've got to remember that. So it's okay to be thankful for what people contribute and do. But we've got to be careful that we don't align any success with that person. The success is from there. Is that all right? Good. David handled success really well because he knew the truth. He knew he didn't really kill Goliath. And he knew he didn't really defeat the lion or the bear or those other armies. He knew he didn't do that. And you see this in Psalm 75. He reveals this. He says, It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. God decided if Goliath would rise, would stay up or fall. God decided which army would rise, which army would fall. It's really in God's hands what happens. David knew this. And the question for us is how do we handle success? When things are going great, do we tend to pray more or less? When everything is wonderful, when everything is awesome, everything is fine, do we spend more time of God or less time of God? When life's good, do we start to feel proud about what we've achieved? When it comes to success, a person after God's heart has a thankful heart recognising that it's only because of anything that God did that they're able to do what they've done. You know, the heart, it's complex. That's why I said at the beginning, I, I can't read a heart. Only God can do that. We can't read your heart, even our, our own heart. There's so much stuff that can be going on in there. It's really hard to read. But I tell you what, it's not hard for God. He can read the heart. He knew right from an early age that David was the one. He could read that heart well. So when I sin, am I looking to blame others or am I repentant? When life sucks, do I fall in a heap or do I fall at God's feet? When God asks me to do something, do I give my best or do I just give him what's left? And when everything is awesome, do I try and take the glory or do I try and give God the glory? When God says that this person is a person after my own heart, 
It's because he sees a repentant heart, a trusting heart, a servant heart, and a thankful heart. 2 Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's really what God wants from us, from each of us. He just wants our hearts to be committed to him. Fully committed in all those areas that we talked about today. Will we fully surrender ourselves to God? In Acts 13, 36, it says, After David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Sounds quite morbid there at the end, but it's actually a really beautiful picture. Here's what it's all about. David served God's purpose in his generation. He did what God called him to do, and then he died. He lived the life that God had called him to live. He served God's purpose for the generation in which he was alive, and then he went to be of God in heaven. He was a man after God's own heart. So what's stopping us, you and I, from doing the same? There was four key questions that I posed today. Is it guilt? Are you worried that you're not good enough? Are you worried that God can't accept you because of what you've done? Can I encourage you? One word, repent. Is it your awful circumstances? Is it that things have been so bad that you go... God might love others, but he never loved me because look, look at my life. It's so bad. Trust God. There's a bigger picture in your life than you probably realise. God can do anything with even the most saddest of stories. God can turn that around. Is it the cost? Is it like you know that God wants you to be doing more or you know that God has... He's been asking you to do this or this, but you don't want to pay, you don't want to pay the price. I would encourage you, remember what you cost God. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Remember the price that he paid for us. Are we stopped because everything's awesome? Because, like, everything's so good at the moment. Like, I don't need God, actually. I, you know, if things go bad again, I'll reconnect with him. But for the moment, everything's just really cool. So, like, I'll just let him work on the others because they need him and I'm fine. I just want to encourage you, if that's how you're feeling, remember who made your life awesome. As quickly as you can have success, failure is just around the corner <laughs> for all of us. The whole pride before the fall, it's coming. As we reflect on this, I, I, I truly think that what the message that God had for me today, for our church, is are we, are we ready to fully commit our hearts to him? Now, I know many here have committed to God. If not all, I don't know. But are we ready to fully commit? Are we ready to give him all access to all areas of our life? Are we prepared to give everything over to him? Are we prepared to fully trust him? Are we prepared to fully live for him? 
I think God deserves it. I really want to encourage you to just reflect on what we've shared today, but also on where your heart is with God because I know that God paid the ultimate price so that you could spend eternity with him. So, And he paid that ultimate price so that our hearts could be a heart that is after God's heart. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.